Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Hopefully today this will resonate with your hearts a little bit. We're going to get back um, on track in chapter 4, at the very end of chapter 4, and we're going to be talking about waiting on the promise of God, not running ahead of the promises of God. Everybody say waiting. Waiting is a struggle. Anybody deal with impatience in here? All right. Um, Patience is definitely not a virtue for me. As a kid, I remember people used to always say to me, all good things come to those who wait. And I was like, that's not true. All good things come to those who get the good things, right? I mean, that's the way that I resonated with that. If I wanted something, I was going to go get it. I wasn't going to wait. If it was, Aaron, you can't have your cookie till after, you know, dinner time. It was, I'm going to eat my cookie, just not tell you about it, right? And so patience was never something that I, uh, that I had really in my life. And it's the same thing kind of in my adult life as well. I've never transitioned into waiting and being patient, especially when it comes to the things of God. And I think it's because um, culturally, Culturally, we're taught a fast-paced society. Everything comes quick. We've talked about this before. You've got your fast food out there. Now we've got, you get on Amazon, and you get your Prime membership. You get two-day shipping, right? We want things fast. We want them furious. All of these things, we want them to come very, very quickly. Speed is important. The way we get information, we want it quickly. And so we're always going after the high-speed internet. Somebody's always saying, we're faster, and then we're going to come out with something faster. And, and we're coming out with something faster. And, and so it's developing in us this kind of resistance towards being patient and waiting. And I was sharing with First Service, and I share it with you too. I think they should have a high school class that's fully dedicated for 12 weeks on dial-up internet, and they have to go through that. Amen? Anybody feel that way? I think, it, I think that, that our generation, this young generation, should have to hear that noise for 12 weeks long, and they will be so appreciative for what they have, amen? And, and so it, it's, it's I, I feel like this culture pushes us to this fast pace, don't wait, everything's there immediately mentality, and unfortunately what we do is uh, we, we bring that into our relationship with God too. And so we approach God where it's... My time, God, now. My time is precious. You better do your thing now, or I'm not going to sit around and wait for you, all right? And so we see that the way it sometimes plays out in our faith in Christ. And so um, today, this is a big deal. Patience and waiting is what it looks like when God is birthing something in our lives through his promises, Okay? If God is birthing something in his promises in our life, then there's almost always going to be a season of being patient and waiting. Now, it's important for you guys to hear. Otherwise, what we do is we are bound to the slavery of trying to do it in our own power, right? So when God is birthing something, there's a season where we're patient, we're waiting for God to do it. Otherwise, what we do is we run in front of God And then we try to do it in our own strength and our own power, and we know how that usually ends, and it's never typically good. And so Paul, here in Galatians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, go there. 
Paul, in Galatians 4, starting with verse 21, he's giving us a story from Genesis. He's going back to Genesis, and he's making a point about how God, from the very beginning, God was working this freedom in Christ versus slavery in the law. And when we talk about law, okay, we're going to go through this in just a minute. When we talk about law, it's that religiousness that we put into our life where if I do this, this, and this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, this, and this, then somehow I'm going to be drawn close closer to the Lord, all right? And so Paul is contending that from the very beginning, it was never about your works. It was never about how good you were or how good you would try to be, but it was always about the freedom that we were going to have in Jesus Christ, amen? And so that first slide, we go back to that first slide, I'm sorry. Um, yep. So if you remember, we've been showing this each week, that the whole of Galatians is about legalism or law, this, this, this kind of spirit of religion. It's all about my do's and don'ts. Then in the middle is liberty, which is freedom, and on the other side is license. I can kind of do whatever I want, and and, and on both sides, it's a slippery slope. So there's times where we fall into legalism. I've got to do this, 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 and this if I want God to love me. You guys remember that? And the minute that we fall back to that, we are in chains and bondage because we're back underneath the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God says that if you want to be under the law, you've got to do it 100% correct all the time. And that's why Jesus came, because there was no way that we could do that. And so on the other side then was license. And license says, because of the grace of God, I can do whatever I want. I have my desires, my pleasures, my wants, whatever makes me happy, fulfills my flesh. I'm going to chase after that. And we're under the wrath of God for that, because we serve a holy God where sin has to be punished. Amen? And so in the middle, sin has been taken Jesus endured it on the cross. We have freedom in the Spirit of God. We've been given sonship through faith and grace in Jesus Christ. So that's where we want to be. That's what we're trying to get to. And every single week, we're hammering this thing out. And now Galatians 4. If you guys have your Bible, Paul will go into the Old Testament. He'll show us what this looks like. He says this, tell me you, want to, tell me you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The Scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife or his maidservant, right? And one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt, listen to this, in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born of God's own fulfillment of his promise. Now, in those days, this was not uncommon. They had multiple wives. They were all about building their tribes. And so in those days, it was all about increasing the family unit. And so Abraham had a wife named Sarah who had a maidservant that was also with Abraham, all right? And so it says in verse 24, these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. Now, this is important. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. I just want to do a teaching real quick in this first five, ten minutes. So at Mount Sinai is where Moses went up to the hill. He's talking with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments, and he comes down. Now remember, the Ten Commandments were given to show us that we would never be able to fulfill it all. We would never do it. So you're looking at this going, man, I can't fulfill all of these things to point us to the fact that we were always going to need Jesus from the very beginning. And so he says... This represents Mount Sinai, Hagar, and her son represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. 
And now, Jerusalem, he's speaking to the Jews now, he says, Jerusalem is like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. So what he's doing now is Paul's contending that those, those Jewish religious leaders who have not come to Christ, they're still believing that they're good enough if they follow the law. And Paul, again, he's, he's saying it's madness. You'll never follow the law, but yet you're still pursuing that. You'll never fully do it, yet you're still thinking that that's going to bring you into the grace of God. And so then he says in verse 26, but the other woman, Sarah, and her son Isaac represents the heavenly Jerusalem, meaning that we're in the presence of God's promise, which is Jesus. And then skipping down to verse 28, he kind of brings it full circle. He says, and you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise just like Isaac. See, what he just did was he was saying, this is what the Jews are still believing, but he said, and he's speaking to Gentile believers. Remember, he's speaking to Gentile believers who had Jesus. They, he was all sufficient. Somebody came in and said, no, 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 it's not just Jesus. You need to go after Jesus, and you need to add religious activity into your life. Be circumcised, don't eat this, do this. You need to do these things. And so Paul's now speaking back to them, and he's saying, remember, you dear brothers and sisters are now children of the promise, just like Isaac. We talked about this last week. You've been adopted into the family of God. Chapter 4, the first part, says we have sonship in because God has adopted us into his family. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort persecuted Isaac, the child born by the, by the power of the Spirit. Now, what I love about this real quickly is that Paul is an amazing debater, all right? He comes in, he's continuously going back to the Old Testament to show how God's been doing this thing from the very beginning, breaking us free from works-based mentality, breaking us free that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, breaking us free that somehow I can earn more favor with God if I just try harder He's, he's, he's contending with that, going back to the Old Testament and saying, look, from the very beginning, God wanted you to have freedom. From the very beginning. It's not something new. And so he uses that powerful illustration because he knows that all of these people know the story of Abraham. From the time that they were little and grew up, even in the culture of the Gentiles, they know the story of Abraham. They, they get it. And so verse, verse 23 is so key because this is the tension in Galatians 4 about freedom and the law. Verse 23, again, the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the firstborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. So real quickly on this slide, First part, you have Hagar and you have Ishmael. We're all about human effort. So he's making the correlation. So he's making it and he's saying, look, good works, trying hard, trying to run ahead of God's promises will never get you to God's promises. Yet many of us live in that state. On the other side, he says, you have Sarah and her son Isaac. We're about God fulfilling his own promise, meaning that we could never do it. God fulfilled, God, I love this about God. He makes a promise and then he fulfills his own promise, even when we mess it up. Amen, church? And so it's about God fulfilling his own promise because we couldn't do it, that Jesus is sufficient on his own. And so the crux of the matter that we're dealing with today is are we trying to get to God's promises in our own effort? 
Are we trying to get to God's promises in our own effort? Or are we trusting in his promises that he has fulfilled them through the faith in Jesus Christ? And so that's the tension that I want to kind of go after. Let me just give you a quick background. Some of you guys that didn't grow up in church, all of this stems from Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to, through you, make you the father of many nations and all nations will be blessed through you. If you've been around church life for any amount of time, you've heard that song that goes on forever and ever, Father Abraham, right, had many sons, left arm. You guys know what I'm talking about? Don't throw me under the bus, all right? You've sang it, you know you have, it's annoying you, and it's stuck in your head, good for you, all right? So you've sang that song over and over and over, and so that's the, the, the issue is that Abraham's going to be blessed with a son who will have sons, who have sons, who have sons, who have sons, to the lineage of Jesus until one day all nations, when Jesus came, would be blessed because of Jesus Christ. And so this is where we get the story in Genesis chapter 12, but there's a problem Because he says, I'm going to bless you with a son. And Abraham's thinking to himself, my wife and I are really, really old. All right? And I'm talking not like like 40s and 50s. I'm talking, he's like, we're like 70s, 80s, 90s. We're pushing 100. All right? And so when God is telling Abraham that he's going to give him this son, Abraham is reasoning with a mind that's a human mind. And he's going... Okay, how am I going to tell my wife this, right? Not only are we really, really old, but I'm going to go home and tell my wife who's tried for years to have a child and has been barren her entire life and has given up hope because she's so old now. I'm going to go tell her that God spoke to me and we're going to have a kid, right? This is not going to go well, fellas, all right? So Abraham goes And he tells Sarah, who's 70s plus, maybe 80s, and it says that in Scripture, she laughed at Abraham. Not laughed like, yeah, 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 we're going to have a kid. Laughed in like, are you kidding me right now? Our whole life we tried, we didn't, now I'm old, and there's no way a baby's going to be in this womb, right? And so there's tension when God's kind of telling this, and Abraham's relaying it to Sarah. And so what we get here is that after years and years and years and years and years of waiting, 20 years plus, whatever it was, and and God always has a plan in the waiting, amen? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But after all these years, Sarah gets impatient, all right, on waiting on God. She's ready to make this thing happen. Some of you guys are resonating. I resonate with Sarah. She's ready to make this thing happen. Abraham's going, look, I got to be faithful. I got to be faithful. All of a sudden, Sarah goes and gets her maidservant, Hagar. Young, she's fertile. She knows that she can conceive. She grabs Hagar. She pulls her over to Abraham, and she said, look, God made a promise to us. Let's help God out, all right? Let's work this thing out. Let's push this promise of God forward a little bit quicker because, you know, he's slow in his promises, right? And and so he gives Hagar to Abraham. Abraham has relations with her because they want to make this promise happen. When, when, and this was not uncommon really in that time as well, but Abraham foolishly accepts this offer. Hagar gives birth to a son named Ishmael, and here's where the problem comes. Then just a few years later, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Now there's tension in the house, right? I've got a son, Ishmael, but I've also got a son, Isaac. One was born of me pushing towards the promise of God in my own natural way. The other was born completely miraculous through the grace of God. 
So in Genesis 12 through 15, that's that in a nutshell. It's all about him trying to show, look, one is coming through a natural thing, one's coming through a supernatural thing. And so hopefully what you're seeing in the argument that Paul's trying to make here is the child born of the slave-made servant woman was born of the flesh. He didn't need God's help for that. She was fertile, she was young, he took her in, and, and she could have, she could conceive, she could have a child. It wasn't a big deal. So God was like, look, that wasn't supernatural, that was just natural. You just had relations, she got pregnant. And so in this moment, he's like, you could make that happen. And, and she wasn't barren. That was completely of the flesh. That was not the promise that I told you about. On the other side, you've got Sarah in her old age, completely barren. No way that she could have kids naturally. Miraculously has a child. She wasn't fertile. She was barren. And that son named Isaac was the son of the promise that God had said. And so let me kind of explain to you what Paul's trying to say here. If you're enslaved under the old law, if you're enslaved under the old covenant, if you're enslaved in that, if you're trying to take this free gift of grace into your own hands, if you're trying to run ahead of God and you're trying to base your understanding of God's approval over your life on your behavior, what's going to happen is you will always end up in slavery to self and trying. Always. You'll always end up in slavery to yourself and trying in your own good works. If you're trying to run ahead of God's promises and you're saying, I'm enslaved to the old system of the law where I've got to do this, do this, do this, not do this, not do this, not do this, then you're always going to end back up in something that's natural, which is slavery to the law, where Jesus came supernaturally to set us free. Amen? So this is where... (laughs) Paul is trying to get us to land at. It will always put you back in bondage, so how do you break that? How do you break that then when it comes over you? And the answer lies here in waiting. Somebody say waiting. Waiting for the Lord and trusting in his promises. All this is saying and that Paul is laying out in Galatians is to show believers that God's promises will never fail you. That Jesus is enough for your freedom. You can't add to Jesus. We've talked about that for six weeks. You can't say Jesus and. Jesus and going to church saved my life. Jesus and good work saved my life. Just Jesus. And when you're filled with Jesus, those things will flow naturally from you. Amen? James contends with that. He's like, look, man, if you have faith, then good works will flow from you. So it's it's not against good works. It's just the good works are not bringing you any closer to the grace of God. It's already showered upon you. And so he's trying to show that Jesus alone, not works, not law, redeems your life. And so from the very beginning, God has taught that his faithfulness would lead to this fulfillment, not human effort. And I want you to get that down. It's because of his faithfulness, not our faithfulness. In fact, the Bible would say that we are very unfaithful, right? The Bible would say that many times we miss the mark, that while we were still in sin, Christ died for us, that each and every day we contend with the flesh, that we battle these things. And so even in our unfaithfulness, it's God's faithfulness that will always fulfill his covenant with his people. It's a beautiful picture of how God works. His promises will be realized because of him. And so hopefully that's a sigh of relief for you guys out there that are like me where we find ourselves trying a lot, trying to be better, trying to be better, trying to be better. And so number one, I just want to share two things real quickly with you. And that, how do we wait on the Lord? What does it come from? Number one, it comes from trusting in Jesus as the promise. Trusting in Jesus as not just a promise, trusting in Jesus as the promise. 
Because, see, sometimes we forget that Jesus is the promise that fulfills all the promises. Amen? It's all found in him. Through him, all things were created. By him, all things were created. In him, all things were created. Jesus is the promise that fulfills all of promises that God gives us. And so we've got to put our trust in him that he's the promise giver. And so the struggle that, again, Paul's contending, and I think that we have today, is that it is easy to try and work to make God's promises happen. Amen? It's easy. It's easy to think that we're going to try to make these happen. This is what Abraham tried to make the promise happen in his own strength. He was like, look, God, you're just, you're not doing it in my timeline, and so I'm going to run in my own strength. I'm going to operate in the natural, and here's the problem with that. We do the same thing. God's saying, look, you've been filled with the Spirit of God. You know Jesus Christ has set you free, and here we are trying to walk in the natural when God has called us to the supernatural. Amen? He's saying, look, the things of heaven, the realities of heaven, set your mind on the realities of heaven. That is natural. And he says this, heaven come down to earth. The things that are in heaven, I pray that those things are on earth. And so he's calling us to a higher standard. He's calling us to not dwell on the things of earth, earth, but to dwell on the things of heaven. And so, so Paul is sitting here and he's literally trying to shift this mentality because he's trying to show that Abraham tried to work this thing out in the natural, didn't work for him. I love this quote that I read. Abraham let go of fighting for supernatural offspring. He let go of fighting for supernatural offspring that could only come from God, opting to settle for less than God's best. Many times we do the same thing, and God is correcting this by saying, stop accepting the natural solutions. It's a mentality change. It's a heart change. Look, we can work. There's no question about it. We can be really good. We can try to do things in our own strength, and it can look fantastic, but at the very core of it, it's dying. It's transient. It's fading away. Amen? And it's only in Jesus that we'll find that fulfillment. Most of the time, it seems our level of trusting, listen to this church, most of the time, it seems that our level of trusting God is determined by our level of understanding. So how much I understand God is how much I'm going to trust God. And the problem with that is that if you're like me, I have a tendency to put God in a box that fits how I understand him. And so the way that I'm going to trust God is the way that he fits inside of my box. And if he doesn't fit inside of my box, it's hard for me to have an understanding of him. And if it's hard for me to have an understanding of him, then I'm definitely not trusting him in certain areas, right? And so what we try to do is we try to bring God down to this level of understanding that I have. However, Scripture clearly tells us that God's ways are higher. Amen? He tells us that God's ways are deeper, that his thoughts are deeper. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend. Somebody say, do not depend. Do not depend on your own understanding. Don't try it. Don't try to bring God down to your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. Look, you can, bring, you can try to bring God down to your own understanding. And the truth is, when we try to bring God down to our own understanding, and we're trying to figure out, God, why are you not healing? God, why are you not taking care of my finances? God, why are you not restoring my marriage? God, why am I not a good parent? And we're trying to bring God down to our own understanding. It's because we're not fully embracing the full power of what our God can do. Because we're bringing him down to the way that we understand him. The truth of the word is this church, that Jesus brings us up to his understanding. 
Scripture says you have the mind of Christ. God's work, Jesus' work, what he's trying to do is try to get us away from bringing God down to our works mentality of understanding him to bring us up to his all-sufficient grace, that his grace is sufficient for every need. And when I start to have the mind of Christ, and when I'm raised up to the mind of Christ, not bringing God down to my understanding, but going up to his understanding, and then I look at my situations and I'm asking, how come that person's not being healed yet? I'm pressing in because God's saying, I can heal. I've seen him do it. I've read about it. I've watched it. When I'm saying, God, can you take care of this finances? I've got the mind of Christ. I know that God owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. Amen, church. So all of a sudden, everything in my heart and everything in my mind is being shifted. I don't see it in the natural anymore. I see it through God's eyes, and there's nothing that stops God. Nothing. And so it's a change in our mentalities, and it's a change in how we see things because we have the mind of Christ. And in that moment, we can trust God's provision. We can trust God's promise. Doesn't matter if it's 20 years out anymore. Doesn't matter if it's 15 years out anymore. Doesn't matter how long we've been waiting. We can trust it because we know that there's freedom in God through Jesus Christ and God never lacks on fulfilling his promises. We know it. But when we try to birth things in our own, we fail. Church, I want you to hear this. We cannot compromise cannot compromise on the promises that God has given us. He has promised us a great blessing, but instead, here's what we do. We settle for what we can see, for what we can understand, and here's the one that crushed me, for what we can manipulate. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, Abraham knew the promise that God had given him. It's been 20 years, man. He knew the promise. I'm sure every day he thought about that. But he thought, I'm going to manipulate this when Sarah brings her maidservant. Abraham could have said, stop, nope, that's not what God told me. It's you, Sarah. You're going to have the child right here, right now. You can have it. But that's not what he did. He said, I'll accept this. And they manipulated the promise of God to fit inside of what they could do for works, what they could do in their own strength, what they could do to make this promise happen. And notice something, church. The, the really key issue here was the waiting portion of this. So we trust in Jesus that he is the promise, but then we wait then on the promise to do what he needs to do, and we don't try and help that. Amen? We don't have to push the promise forward. We don't have to sit here and say, look, Jesus is the promise. He needs help, right? He doesn't need our help. Put it down, man, all right? Just let it go. Trust in God. Jesus is sufficient. You're going to hear me say that over and over and over again. When God promised Abraham a son, he didn't give that son right away. We know that. We just talked about that. Listen to what this is. It's easy to take over in the waiting to speed up God's plans and promises. It's easy. It's easy to take over in that waiting. But I want you to hear something, church. It's in the waiting that God does so much work for us. It's in the waiting the work is beginning to form you in your life. It's in the waiting the work is being done. Look, the end result is what you get to enjoy. It's in the waiting period that God is doing a purifying work inside of you. It's in the waiting that the testing is happening in your life, and it's drawing you into Jesus because you're waiting. You got nothing else. You got nothing else to set your eyes on. So Jesus, I'm just waiting. You promised this 20 years ago, so I'm just going to wait on you. It's in that waiting that God is saying, are you faithful? Day by day by day, I was just praying with Nancy this morning, in the daily, daily, daily things when you're waiting, God is still moving, amen? 
little things are happening daily to set up the big promise that he decided to give you or whatever he spoke of your life. Little things are happening in the daily. It's in the waiting. Your faith is being built and trust is growing. I often think about Noah in this moment. And if you guys know the story of Noah, God says build an ark. Had not been rain. They don't even know what really rain is during that time, right? And so Noah's like building an ark. Like, what do you mean? Like a, kind of a boat? And, and, and so Noah's building this boat. A hundred years, whatever it was, hundred years passed. And I can see he's building this boat going, I don't even know what stinking rain is. And you're having me build this boat. Like, what, what are you doing, God? But I can promise you this. Each day he went and he worked on that thing. And then when those raindrops started to fall, something in his heart resonated for a hundred years, God was purifying his heart, building his faith, so that when that rain started to fall, Noah didn't go, I wonder if I should get on this thing, right? When that rain started to fall, something within him through those years of being built said, this is the promise that was coming. This is what God warned me about. This is why he had me build this boat. It's in that time of waiting that you will see Jesus move in your life. It's interesting, church, that sometimes what we do is we get to a place where we've been waiting for so long, there's no return, right? Either Jesus is going to move or it's nothing. I love this quote, and I've shared it in here before, but it says, isn't it interesting that sometimes when you ask God for something, he lets it go so long, the only thing that can possibly produce what you're asked for is a miracle. He lets it go so long that by the time that you're like, God, is this ever going to happen? Because everything feels like it's passed me by relationships and jobs and promotions. And, and I just, you told me there's something more, whatever. That it feels like you've lost out on everything. And then at that last moment, what comes is a miracle from God. So that you can't say, look what I did. Look what I built. Look what I went after. Look what I sold myself on. Look how I got this. Look how I reeled this in. But literally you sit there in awe and you say, that was only because of the miracle of Jesus Christ. Why does God do this? Because he wants to show himself as your only answer. That's it. He's your only answer. And so Abraham and Sarah, to receive the promise of God, God wanted to show them the only way they were going to get that was through a miracle because that's how God loves to move. And I feel like that increased faith. That's supposed to increase faith. And listen, the currency that we have on earth right now, planet earth, our currency in the spiritual realm, our currency is faith. You read through Hebrews 11, faith to move mountains. You read through all of these men and women of faith. How were the blind made to see through faith? How all these things, Jesus came, he says, it's your faith, it's your faith, it's your faith, it's your faith, it's your faith. And faith acknowledges this. I love this, I read this. Faith acknowledges that sometimes God's promises wait in the distance and pain waits in the distance with that faith and promise. Because I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Some of you guys have been saying, look, you're, you're, you're telling me that God had a promise, and I heard God give me a promise. Man, it's been 10 years. I prayed for my whoever that's been sick. Our marriage has been wrecked 15 years, wrecked, and I've prayed for this daily. And, and, and in this waiting that you're saying where God's supposed to be building me, man, I feel so much pain and guilt and agony and shame. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Sometimes when you're looking at the distance for God's promises and you see the pain that's waiting in the distance with God's promise, you get it. You get that right now you feel so pressed so so beaten down but sometimes we have to hit that place of pressed and beat down and be so low that there's nowhere else that we can try to fix it in our own strength that literally the only thing that we have in this moment is to cry out to Jesus amen church 
That's it. So it's that whole, I'm pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. I'm struck down but not destroyed. Why? Because God is faithful. And so in those moments that I feel pressed, waiting on the promises of God, knowing that there's pain in that, I can still look and see that God is working. So I love Hebrews 11 where it says all of these men and women of faith, some of them never saw the promise that they were given, but they saw it from afar. Do you know what they're saying? That this life right here is not it for us, man. This is just a portion of our eternity, right? And so we still get the promises of God, amen. And so as we talk about this, and we talk about this waiting, I'll just close out with these last two things real quickly and the band can come up. There's two ways that we're waiting right now on those promises. One, we're either waiting passively, or two, we're waiting expectantly. You see, church, because a passive person, they hope something good will come. And, 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 and they, they're willing to stick around and sit it out for a little bit, and they're willing, because they have a little bit of hope that'll happen, they're willing to stick it out, passively waiting, not necessarily into, just kind of passively waiting, and if it doesn't happen after a short time, they're gone. They're going to grab, they're going to grab Hagar, they're going to make this promise happen. I'm going to do it in my own strength, because I passively waited, you didn't do it, God. And the other person is the expectant person. The expectant person is hopeful, believing the answer is just around the corner. (laughs) Due to arrive at any minute, his or her belief, their belief is not a passive thing. Their heart is full of hope, expecting the problem to be solved at any moment. There's an expectation, because an expectation, and it's birthed out of that, we can sit there and say, God, I know something's going to happen, whether in this life or the next, something's going to happen, right? So we're waiting either passively where we're eventually going to give up or expectantly where we know and trust that God fulfills every promise. Psalm 41 through 3 says this, I waited patiently on the Lord he, to, to help me and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me As I walked along, he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. May we, uh, many will see that he is, uh, what he has done and will be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. So band's going to come up and I'm just going to ask you a couple challenging questions here. Paul uses Sarah and Hagar to represent how we approach God and how we operate with God. The question is, is that one way is out of a natural response, one way is out of a supernatural response. One way is limited, it's in my own strength, this is what I'm going to do. One way is unlimited, it's completely in Jesus who has no limits. The problem is many times it's easier to chase after the natural way and not put your trust in the supernatural way. Unfortunately for many of us, we've been pressed and we've been feel like we've been beat down at times and we feel like, man, that there's no way to a supernatural solution in this thing. And so what we've done is we've given up hope. We've become passive waiters. Look, I'm going to wait for a season. If you don't do it, Lord, I always have to take over and do it in my own strength. And I believe today God is trying to break that passivity in us and make us expectant to wait on him as the promise. 
We can choose the Ishmael solution. Look, we can choose the Hagar Ishmael solution, the natural solution. We can choose the natural solution in our marriages. We can choose the natural solution in our finances. We can choose the natural solution in our jobs, in our health struggles, unforgiveness, bitterness, depression. We can choose the natural solution if we want to, but it will always fail us. Or we can choose the Isaac solution the supernatural solution. I'm going to wait on the Lord and I'm not going to run ahead of the promises of God. I'm not going to be found in my works. I'm not going to be found in my doing. I'm going to be found at the feet of Jesus. I'm not going to be found in trying, 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 trying. I'm going to be found at the feet of Jesus. And when I'm found at the feet of Jesus, all of those promises that have been given, all of those things that I've been chasing, God says over you, there's promises. And he wants to give you blessing. He wants to pour out his love. He wants you to know that you're worth it. He wants you to know your sons and daughters. All of those promises are found at the feet of Jesus, not in our doing. And like Abraham and Sarah, I'm believing that today somebody is going to stop trying to help God out and trust God as the supernatural solution. We don't need to help God out. It just makes it worse. We just need to trust Him. So will you trust God? Will you trust God that He's given you a promise that you've been waiting on? Will you trust God that He's sufficient for all your needs? Will you trust God that he's got something more? That he's calling you right now and maybe a waiting period because he's gotten something so much bigger than what you could possibly imagine? Will you trust God and will you be expectant? Or will you trust in yourself that you can do it better than him? I want to pray over you guys today. Father God, let's pray. Father God, this morning, God, I'm believing that somebody is ready to stop God, this passive waiting, and they're ready to go to expectant waiting, Jesus. Where, God, they're expecting, they're believing, they know in hope that you're going to move. And, God, each and every day you're moving a little bit at a time. God, you're speaking to the hearts of people. You're putting pieces in the place right now. Father, you, you spoke over somebody's life a, a new anointing. You spoke over to somebody's life a, a reconciled marriage. You spoke over to somebody's life a, a job situation change. You spoke over somebody's life about a prodigal son or daughter that's going to come home. And Father, they're asking, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And Lord, each day you're putting pieces into play. You're speaking to hearts. You're setting things where they need to be set. And you will fulfill your promises, Lord. And so we come expectantly today. We don't want to take over. We don't want to try to do it in our strength, God. We don't want to try to birth something in the natural when you've promised it, God, in the supernatural. And so today, God, I pray for those men and women out there that need to let go of passive waiting and walk into expectant waiting. And those men and women out there that need to say, I trust Jesus over trusting my works, over trusting what I can do. I pray that today they can lay it down in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.